Welcome to the Back Nine Report, presented by eDraft.com. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Back Nine Report, presented by eDraft.com. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. My name is Carlos Torres, and every week I'm alongside my co-host, Fred Alvader. Fred, hi, how are you today? Carlos, you know what today is? It's the spring equinox. It's the first official day of spring can the Masters be too far away? I think not. But I know golf is secondary on your mind. I know you're not gonna you're gonna have a tough time getting <laughs> through the show tonight because I know you stayed up late last night to watch your Puerto Rico baseball team beat the Netherlands to get into the World Baseball Classic Finals. They're gonna face the winner of tonight's other semifinal between Japan and the USA. Carlos, how about the Puerto Rican baseball team? Oh, man, that's, uh, I am like just one of the 3.5 million people there in the, in the island that where after they finish here, we're like, who's going to sleep now? I mean, there's no way with that high <laughs> adrenaline after that finish. It, well, I, I was like two more hours awake texting and posting on Facebook <laughs> and all that. So, you know, it's, it's like... And and we really, I mean, the the, the level of uh, play that they're showing, you know, Puerto Rico is going through a very very tough time, and uh, just like last year last year in the in the Olympics when uh, Monica Puig won the the gold, they have really united the island, and those problems that have divided us uh, have united us now, and and that's the great thing, and the way that that they're doing it, and. Really, the the camaraderie and painting their hair, which I'm not doing, by the way. <laughs> I am no blonde, no blonde for you. No, no blonde for me. I mean, from from a distance here, I'll be pulling for them, but no, 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 no blonde hair for me. But that that shows you the the, the great camaraderie that, that they're showing in, in the the high level that they're playing. In. Having Frankie Lindor, Javier Baez, and Carlos Correa, and Carlos Beltran in that middle of the order. And Jaddy Molina, man, oh, my God, don't get me started. He, he's, to me, I mean, not because he's from Puerto Rico, but to me, he's the best catcher there is. I mean, when we beat Dominican, Dominican Republic, and you keep hearing, it's like a, like a broken record. Uh, the, the manager from the Dominican Republic, Tony Pena, who's a famous, uh, was a famous catcher, he said, you don't beat Puerto Rico, you beat Yadi Molina. Because <laughs> the way that he handles the pitchers, I, I mean, I can talk all day, but we have to talk all day. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I know your post on Facebook last night was at 2 a.m. my time that I saw this morning when I got up. So I know you were up late <laughs> last night. <laughs> hey, Carlos, yeah. talking golf, the Arnold Palmer invitation was held for the first time without Arnie at the 18th to greet the contestants. Women in golf is the hottest topic right now. We're going to talk about that for a while. And plus, we got Matt Janella to talk about the great golf courses that are opening up, that are coming up. 
So I'm excited. We got a great show tonight. Let's go. Matt Ginella has the job that we all want. We want to go to all those golf courses. <laughs> you don't want to miss all that he has to say every time that we have him on the air here. He's a great, great interview, so don't miss it. We have a lot that we're going to be talking about, especially about the women. You don't want to miss that in our practice range, but we have to start with the weekend backspin when every week Fred and I want to recap the action that happened in all the major tours. And like you mentioned, the API, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, first year without the king, and uh, there was plenty of action there. Yeah, you know, um, the Masters has the green jacket. The RBC Heritage gives away an ugly red plaid thing. <laughs> I think they must have gotten from the Goodwill store. And now the Arnold Palmer Invitational has the red sweater. It has to be the coolest prize this side of the green jacket, Carlos. Arnold Palmer made the button-up cardigan sweater a staple of golfers everywhere in the 60s and 70s. To honor his memory at this tournament, all future winners will receive a red cardigan sweater. What a cool, what a cool idea. I, I just love that. Ozzy Mark Leishman is a tremendous story. He was a rookie year back in 2009 and then ready to walk away from the game two years ago to raise his two children when his wife was near death fighting respiratory disease and toxic shock. I mean, she was my 5% to live. She was in bad shape. The guy who seemed to only play well in majors finally got his life in the right place to realize his immense talent and win on the PGA Tour. He began his surge with a 51-foot eagle putt on the 16th hole that gave him the lead for the first time on Sunday. He started three shots back of Kevin Kisner and Charlie Hoffman, but they both struggled all day. This was a normal situation for Leishman. He began the day six shots behind when he won his first PGA Tour title in the 2012 Travelers Championship. Two par saves on 17 and 18 sealed the deal and put him in the club ass out 11 under with Hoffman and Kisner still on the course. Both of them posted 73 to finish tied runner-up and each received checks for 765000 which is not a bad consolation prize. Roy McIlroy had a really good week, and a Sunday surge put him in the mix until he made that eh, three-putt bogey at the 72nd hole, which kind of entered his chances. He kind of had to go for it. He really needed birdie there, so he just got a little aggressive with that putt. He struck his driver magnificently. One drive on Sunday downwind carried 380 yards, Carlos. 380. He was consistently striping it down the middle of the fairway, out driving the tour average by 40 yards. If he can continue to hit the driver like that, the field may not have a chance at the Masters in two weeks. Seems like every week we're talking about Tyrell Hatton. He picked up 382,000 for a solo fourth place finish. Adam Hadwin, who's coming off his win at the Valspar, continued his solid play with a T6. And banged one off the middle of the stick at the par 317, barely missing a hole-in-one. Carlos, it was sad. Arnie was not there to greet uh, the winners and all the players on the 18th, but the red sweater makes the perfect award for a job well done and to keep Arnie's spirit alive and well. <laughs> oh, no, it, it, it was a sad, sad thing to see him there, but I, I'm sure he would be proud of Mark Lichman who has overcome so much, his story is so great. I mean, 
his wife, like you mentioned a couple of years ago, she was she was gone. I mean, uh, that coma that she was in, he really didn't know uh, what to do. And, and he he said after after that the tournament when he was interviewed about uh, Arnold Palmer, he said Mr. Palmer was an awesome guy who I was lucky enough to meet a few times. To honor him was huge, and it was the first time I won a tournament with my family here. It's all come together. It's a great honor. And uh, I, I, I thought, I think that it would have been a great, great uh, thing to see him there. Uh, and like you mentioned also, it was uh, an excellent week for the English players there, uh, mainly Terrell Hatton and also Matthew Fitzpatrick, who was there on the leaderboard until the end when he shot a 76, which surely took him out. But Tyrell Hatton, which we've been saying, hey, you have to continue to see him. He, he has continued his good play stateside. He ended the week there, tied for fourth with Rory. And Tommy Fleetwood also climbed back into the top ten right roundly, brilliantly from an open starting eight. So Justin Rose also with Matt Fitzpatrick, they're 13. So it was a great week for them. But, uh, oh, great, great win. It's a great story to see Mark Leishman win here. Let's talk about the LPGA. You know, Anna Northwest, she caught up with some college friends and left everyone else behind on Sunday on another hot afternoon there at the Bank of Hope Founders Cup. The 29-year-old former Arizona State player shot a four under 68 to hold off fellow major champions Aria Yutana and Stacey Lewis and Inge Sean by two strokes in the record 96-degree heat at Desert Ridge. And let me, let me just state this. It's not that it was a all-time high. It was for the for the time of the year that was a record-setting 96 degrees. That's summer-like temperatures. She won her seventh LPGA Tour title and the first since successfully defending at the Shoprite LPGA Classic last June in the U.S. Women's Open. As you might remember, in July she lost a three-hole playoff to Brittany Lang after being penalized two strokes for touching the sand with her glove in a fairway bunker on the second extra hole and a camera had that microscopic touch showing. Don't get me started on that. But anyway, she ended up back in the Valley of the Sun after dropping the Women's Australian Open from her schedule because it didn't count in the European Solheim Cup standings. So Norfolk, who was born and raised in Escudelina in Sweden, she picks a strange place to call her second home, but she loves it <clears throat> there in the desert and couldn't have been more comfortable in that record 96 degree and 95 degree on Saturday there at the Wildfire Golf Club. It's properly named the Wildfire. She shot a tournament record 11 under par 61 to bolt to the top of the leaderboard on Saturday. And at 21 under 195, she broke the 54-hole Founders Cup record by two shots which was as many shots that she was ahead at that time of a pair of a very familiar pursuers, which were Adia Yutanagar and Stacey Lewis, who both shot 66 that Saturday. It wasn't like Adia and Stacey were holding back. It was just how good Norfolk played that Saturday. She played in the shadow of Yutanagar and Lewis in the first two rounds, but she hung up close enough to catapult past them with her torrid run in that third round. A hot potter helped her climb over 12 players in the third round. Norbert was back with the Itanagar again <clears throat> in Sunday's final round. She was Lewis was paired with Soyan Rue, who shot a 64 on Saturday to move three shots back. 
she was voting free at that at that point and needed a 65 on Sunday to get to 28 under and break the LPGA's 72 hole record uh, scoring record. Fred, you had texted me saying that Aria was going to win as the course suited perfectly for her, and it really did. She played awesome. I had told you that I like Stacey since she plays well with the lead, plus she had a victory in two seconds and a T4 finish in her last four starts at that club. But at the end, <laughs> we didn't see this one coming. It was Northwest, who finished at 25 under 263, two shots off the LPGA Tour record that Seyong Kim matched last year in Daddy in the event that honors the 13 women who started the tour in 1950. She earned $225,000 and jumped from 13th to 11th in the world rankings. Stacy Lewis finished with a 68. She's winless in 67 events since June 2014. The 32-year-old Texan finished second for the 25th time in her career and the 12th since her last victory. So she's been runner-up very, very commonly. She won a Desert Ridge in 2013 to reach number one in the world, was second in 2014 and 15 and tied for fourth last year. Yutanagarn, she matched Norquist with a 68 in the final pairing, play, playing back nine in five under. The second rank, tie star had a bogey-free week. She won five LPGA tours last, Tour titles last year and topped the player of the year points race in money list. Norquist, of course, played incredibly uh, Ingi Shon, she had a 66, and Hannah Yang, who shot a 63, and Inby Park, 67, and Soyun Ryu with a 69. They all tie for fifth at 21 under. Man, I think Inby is on a mission to be back at the top of the rankings. She looks ready. Top ranked Lydia Ko also had a bogey free week. She just didn't have enough firepower to match the top ones. She closed with a 68 to tie for eighth at 20 under. She joined Chun and Sandra Gao in showering her friend Narcos with water on the 18th green. Maria Yutanagarn, who is Adia's older sister, was also 20 under after a career best 63. U.S. Hall Cup captain Julie Inkster at 56 years old. She had a 64 that drew a hug and playing captain joke from the LPGA Tour Commissioner Michael Wan. Fred, it was the Hall of Famer's lowest round on tour since also shooting 64 in the 2000. Avian, uh, 2003 Avian Masters, she tied for 24th at 16 under, and who knows, maybe she can jump out and try to see if she can make it that uh, player captain in the Solheim Cup. She is a freak. Julie Angster <laughs> is a freak. 56 years old, and she still mixes it up with these teenage girls. You know, I mean, she could be their grandmother. You know, I mean, that is absolutely amazing to me. Um, she is just doing some amazing stuff. She wins or does real well in the Legend Tour. She jumps down plays on the regular tour. Um, she she is quite a player. But there was a lot going on at this tournament, Carlos, and I and I did. I texted you after Stacy was a, had that great round on Thursday, and she looked really good. But I knew this golf course was going to take a lot of birdies. And I really thought it was perfect for Rhea Jutanagarn, and I thought, you know, she's going to win this thing hands down. She's just going to go on a birdie fest. But it was Anna Norquist who really did it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I yeah. did not see that coming. You yeah, know, Michelle, we had another good, another good week, uh, like you say, Envy. So, um, you know, you got the, you got the good names playing well. Inchi Chun had a really good week. 
you got the really good names playing well again on the LPGA Tour. It's, it's fun to see. Um, Carlos, the Champions Tour is played this week. I don't know. I don't think anybody watched it. Um, you didn't hear anything about it. 58-year-old Tom Lehman, who's coming off arthroscopic surgery on his right elbow, was two strokes behind Champions Tour rookie Steve Stricker. You remember him? With three holes to play, but that's when he went to work. Lehman closed with two birdies and a par for a 766 and a one-stroke victory over his playing partner, Stricker. Lehman said, I haven't been playing a lot of golf. I had surgery in early November, had a great doctor and a great physical therapist. They really put me through my paces over the last three and a half to four months. I give them a lot of credit. Stricker, playing in his first Champions Tour event, followed a second round 63 with a 70 on Sunday. He was trying to become the 19th player to win his first start on the PGA Tour champions and first since Miguel and Hell Jimenez in 2014. It was a good week. It was a good positive week, Stricker said. I did a lot of good things. My game is always a work in progress. It's like anybody's, and I haven't played that much yet so far this year. I think this is just my fourth event. Yeah, I'm excited. Stricker really struggled at the end. He bogeyed the par 3 16th, uh, made birdie on 17, but then bogey on the 18th after hitting uh, three-wood drive uh, into the water. So kind of choked it a little bit there over the last three holes. But, Carlos, I think Bernhard Lahner better be ready to go because I think Stricker may be a worthy opponent for the Charles Schwab Cup here. Stricker is so steady and so consistent, um, mm-hmm. you know, if he can pick up a win or two in the majors um, and add another one or two in the regular events, uh, this could be this could be Stricker's year. Hey, Carlos, I want to preview just real quickly. Uh, we've got a big event going on this week. The PGA Tour, uh, the Dell WGC match play starts tomorrow and features the top 64 players in the world. And then the Puerto Rico Open will be played for everyone else uh, down there in that little island down there where you hail from. Um, But, hey, I was looking at some of the groups today. Um, There's some pretty good matches coming up over the next couple days. You know, they play the round robin on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and they cut down to the 16. Only one player emerges from each group. So uh, this could get exciting along about Friday uh, afternoon. The LPGA visits Carlsbad, California for the Kia Classic, and then in two weeks, they're going to hold the year's first major, the ANA Inspiration in Palm Springs. The Web.com is in Louisiana for the Chittabaca, Louisiana Open. The Champions Tour is off this week, and then the European Tour is off from now until after the Masters. They're kind of on their hiatus. You know, they play pretty much around the end of the year and into January. So they take uh, pretty much uh, the month of March here off um, and uh, because they've got the match play and the Masters, which are co-sanctioned. So, uh, Carlos, that's all I have for the backspin for tonight. Yeah, I'm just going to tell you that on the WGC match play, it could be more remarkable is the guy to beat. But watch out for these two names, and I'm mentioning them here right now. Thomas Peters. Uh, the big hitter in Belgium, he's going to give anyone who comes up against him a fright, okay? He's had two top fives on this side of the Atlantic already this season, has played in the event before where he won, 
lost in half matches. So let's not forget uh, his outstanding performance at the Ryder Cup last year. And I can't wait to see who's going to be driving the ball farther when he and Bubba Watson. That would be a cracker, that match. And Tommy Fleetwood is the other one that I tell you. He's playing great. He has shown his class recently. He won in Abu Dhabi, second in the last uh, WGC Mexico, and top 10 again last week. So watch out. Those two are playing really, really good. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood and Thomas Peters. And in the Puerto Rico Open, I have to mention that even though Fino is not going to be defending, he's the first first alternate, and he decided to, under the WC match play, and he decided to spend the week there in Austin, hoping one of the field will withdraw. But I I have to mention that your guy, Wes Bryan, will be the top-ranked player in the field, and that's a very good uh, course for him. Could be that first win that you're talking about him that could be his first win in the PGA Tour, so watch out for him and also Grant McDowell, who's really looking to be rediscovering his game in recent weeks. Uh, he might have an advantage. He likes to play in poor forecast, and it looks uh, the weather forecast looks pretty dismal there. I've been told with at least some rain in the forecast every day. So watch out for Grant McDowell and your guy Wes Bryan. I'm going to be watching that uh, on the Puerto Rico Open. It could be his first win. Very well could be. And with that. We'll wrap up our weekend back thing. We're going to take our first short break. When we come back, we have the Par 5 News. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at eDraftSports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash eDraftSports. Now, back to the show. And we're back, and now it's time for the Part 5 News, and Fred, as usual, has the tee shot. And you're going to, I bet, I really bet you have some good opening news right now for us. I really bet on it. I do, but before I start on that, Carlos, I want to mention that um, we posted a new show to uh, Back Nine Report TV over the weekend. So uh, anybody that's following the Back Nine Report TV on Roku, um, we talk about Florida golf travel. We talk about some stops uh, to stay and play uh, between uh, the northern part of the United States and Florida. If you were looking for places to play on the way down there, uh, we talk a little bit about some fitness tips, and we talk a little bit about uh, charity and golf. So uh, anybody that's interested or anybody that has Roku, go to Back 9 Report TV, download it, uh, and watch the episodes as we post them. Carlos, uh, ESPN is reporting that Phil Mickelson's name is still being used in the SEC case against Billy Walters. Both the prosecution and defense at, at Walters' insider trading trial agreed that Mickelson was pivotal to their case. They told jurors that what they'll learn about him will help them decide whether a professional Las Vegas gambler earned more than $40 million illegally through insider trading. Assistant U.S. Attorney Michael Ferrara told jurors that Walters encouraged friends, including Mickelson, to buy stock in Dean Foods Company, a Dallas-based um, uh, milk processor. 
Farrar said Walter's new insider information he got from a former Dean Foods board member was a sure thing. Mickelson has already paid a million-dollar fine and cooperated with the feds to avoid any worse consequences. Defense attorney Barry Burke said Mickelson was proof that his client is innocent, saying it would make sense for Walters to sell secrets to a celebrity. If you're Bill Walters and somebody's giving you inside information, the last thing you would do is give it to Phil Mickelson, one of the most famous athletes in the world who is going to attract regulatory scrutiny. U.S. District Judge, boy, that sounds like a pretty weak defense to me, Carlos. I, if, if my defense is based off that argument, I think I'm, I'm in trouble. U.S. District Judge Kevin Castle hinted at a possibility to jurors that Mickelson may be called to testify. Well, if you remember, we started following this story a couple of years ago when the FBI met Phil on the 18th Green after the first round of memorial and escorted him to the Columbus FBI office for questioning in the case. One of these days, still gambling in close association with known gamblers is going to land him in some hot water, Carlos. Mark it down. I'm predicting it. He has escaped by the skin of his chinny-chin-chin just a couple times. So, you know, the the cat's only got nine lives. How many has he used on it? Three. Yeah, well, he's still six. (laughs) 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 I have six to go. It's still some some way to go. And Eli Eli Calloway isn't around to bail him out anymore either, so... We'll see. We'll see what happens. And, of course, we'll keep you all posted on it. Hey, I am going to take this piece of news with a grain of salt. I mean, newspapers have been carrying a story at the weekend which says that organizers are secretly planning to move the 2018 Ryder Cup to Scotland because of terrorism fears in Paris, France. And I say with a grain of salt and... That's in newspapers and emphasize on this because they are mostly tabloids, and I'm being gentle and saying that they're newspapers, uh, the ones that are reporting it. So take it as you wish, as I reported here, and you be the judge. You know, reports say that Team USA Ryder Cup officials are fearful of the threat posed by the Islamic State jihadists in France to the security of the players should the event be staged at Paris National. As planned, Chris Mouzon and Kevin Duguid in the Scottish Sun report that Europe's most recent venue, Glen Eagles, is set to host again with infrastructure and a proven security plan already in place. Okay, a source told the Scottish Sun on Sunday yesterday <clears throat> that the plan is in place and ready to go at the request of the Americans. Wow. Other quotes in the Peace Center of, on a perceived less than convincing handle of security of mainland Europe said, and I quote, the U.S. were already incredibly nervous about the radical being held in France before yesterday's events at Orly Airport. The U.S. believes some European countries don't have a handle on the terror threat and they may not risk it. There is seen to be <clears throat> a disjointed approach to security in mainland Europe, end of quote. You know, Paris and France as a whole, uh, as a whole is a country desperate for good news after a torrid two years of sustained terror attacks. The Charlie Hebdo raid claimed 22 lives in 2015, while the Vatican massacre of later that year saw 130 people die. Another 86 were uh, killed in the Nice 
truck attack in July last year. It is almost unthinkable, however, that Paris and France as a nation would relinquish staging the event. More official-sounding sources in the piece tend to agree, and they say, and I quote, as the spokesman said, and I quote, Glen Eagles is hosting two major events, but it is not being lined up as a contingency for the Ryder Cup. We are working closely with all agencies in France to ensure a safe and successful Ryder Cup at Le Golf National in September 2018. Police uh, uh, Scotland's Assistant Chief and Constable Bernard Higgins, he said, and I quote, the force is planning for two major golf events at Glen Eagle, the European Sports Championships in 2018 and the 2019 Solheim Cup. But we have not been approached by Ryder Cup Europe about any contingency plans for 2018, end of quote. I, for one, hope to see the 2018 Ryder Cup take place at Paris National as planned. Now, Paris is one of my favorite cities in the world, and if there ever was a course most suited to match play at the highest level, this is one. For one, moving the event would send the wrong message to the terrorists and signal, hey, you have won. We're moving everything. So uh, I doubt it. You know, there were also uh, a lot of concerns about the Olympics being in, held in Brazil, and you know how that worked out. So I will just say so our French listeners will understand it, Fred. A little blue. Okay. Whatever, whatever you said, I, I'll go along with that too. Ditto. That is go, friends. Go, friends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, you know, I mean, it, it is kind of scary, though. I, I know that this is kind of uh, out there to even think about that at this point, but uh, we're a long ways away, and uh, we'll see. But, um, it, it, you know, it is a concern. Uh, you know, I, I would, if I were one of the players uh, on either team, probably would be concerned. Maybe I don't know. You know, you hey, know uh, what I would be concerned, Fred? When the players start talking about it. But I haven't heard, yeah. especially Phil Mickelson. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard. Yeah. That's when I would be concerned. And when they start expressing, I don't know, because that's what happened with Brazil. Oh, I don't know, security, Zika, and all that stuff. But here, I don't hear anybody talking about it. That's why I say I'm going to take this with a grain of salt. Yeah. Yeah, I, you're, you're probably right about that. Hey, uh, Carlos, there was a, there's a lot of business in the golf news. I got I, I just kind of combined three things here real quick. Um uh, tech-savvy golfers are familiar with the cool apps and uh, online booking available. It's easy, saves money for golfers. Golf courses offer unused tee times to a third-party booking service like Tee Off or Golf Now for a percent of the normal price. TeeOff.com is owned by the PGA Tour and announced that it will eliminate booking fees for phone as well as online reservations. They realized the added expense was a deterrent to online booking for many golfers, so they at the convenience to phone in. They say from their data that 16 to 70% of all golf reservations are now made online. Golf Now is charging a $99 annual membership for its VI program that eliminates transaction fees. Beyond the wave booking fees, Golf Now's VI packages offers 25% more rewards points on every round book, points that can be used as credit to book future rounds. Golf Now's plan is to create a loyalty among golfers, hoping to get more people involved in the game and giving those who are already playing an excuse to play even more. So, the idea behind all of this is to appeal to millennials who use technology for purchasing everything. 
and I told you last week, Carlos, you realize I'm a millennial, and, you know, we bought all our Christmas stuff online this year, so we, we must be millennials. Hey, uh, golf courses hate this, uh, this whole thing. They, they do not like this. I, I, I have never met any golf course owner that told me they like Golf Now or any of these third-party uh, booking services, but they just feel that they are forced to do it because they're all scared from the lower number of rounds played and they just got to grab any green fee they can get. This lower pricing is killing green fee prices across the board, and in many cases, green fees today are less than they were 25 years ago. You know, everybody around, I've, I've talked to a lot of the golf courses around here where I live. I mean, there's 20-some public golf courses in, you know, the 30-mile radius or 40-mile radius here. And um, I, think, I think they've kind of raised prices maybe a dollar this year. I mean, they should raise them five bucks. It's just ridiculous what, what they're charging here for public golf. Um, it does put more names on a course's tee sheet, but it doesn't really add to their bottom line. The other problem is that local golfers who would pay the regular price to, you know, go online and then get, get this cheaper price, thus the golf course is throwing away extra money. So... That's the thing about third-party uh, uh, booking, tea, golf tee booking times. In other golf business news, real briefly, uh, Back Nine USA Golf Accessories business was acquired by Paramount Apparel. Paramount Apparel was founded in 1929 as a diversified apparel headwear and accessories company. They currently own Imperial, Imperial Headwear, who we've had the CEO on the show before. They license Converse and True Religion and... Uh, it's one of the largest finished cap companies in the United States. So, but Carlos, the biggest golf news, uh, business golf news of the week, involves the golf ball wars continued of Costco and Acushnet. I love this story. In our, you know, uh, so if you remember, Costco sold the Kirkland brand golf ball last fall at a $14.99 price for two dozen, not just one, two dozen. When they ran out of balls and tried to reorder, the manufacturer refused to refill any orders, leaving Costco shelves empty when consumers desperately wanted more. If you remember, the Kirtland ball performed well. It was a nice ball. Guys wanted it, you know, for that price. They, they wanted it. Costco has taken to the courts to sue a Kushnet the maker of Titleist golf balls, over there being locked out of the golf ball business. In a lawsuit filed last week in U.S. District Court in Seattle, Costco asked for a declaratory judgment against the Cushion Holdings Corp., which owns Titleist, related to Costco's sale of the ball under its Kirkland signature brand. Costco is asking the court to rule that the ball doesn't infringe on any valid patent rights owned by a Cushion and that it hasn't engaged in any false advertising in reference to the ball. In the complaint, Costco says the suit is necessary because the cushion has accused it of patent infringement and false advertising. Plus, a cushion has told the manufacturer of their golf balls to stop supplying their overruns to Costco to sell under the Kirkland brand. So, the manufacturer had some overruns, some, you know, a little bit, Scarred or a little bit, you know, balls that Titleist rejected. They're Pro V1s. You know, they're sitting in their warehouse. 
They dumped them through a liquidator. Liquidator sold them to Costco. The Costco put them on the shelf. They jumped off the shelf. You could buy, basically buy um, Pro V1s that are going for, for 50 bucks a dozen. You could buy two dozen for 15 bucks. What a deal. So, I love this story, Carlos. I'm be, be sure I'm going to be following this story because I love this. <laughs> I, I think this is just hilarious. Um, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't bet against Tylus though winning in court. They uh, they have a pretty good track record uh, of protecting their brand. So uh, I think Costco might be out left out in the cold. Uh, they might have to go with a cheaper ball or something that doesn't perform as well as a Pro V1. And you know what? Really, they should not be able to sell overrun uh, Pro V1s. Um, I don't think. You know, I don't know what you know what the law is going to say for sure. But I just because they've got that that you know they got that protected with patents. They've got a lot of research dollars and technology into developing that ball. It's been the leading ball in golf for some time. They keep making it even better. So it shouldn't be on the shelves for 15 bucks for two dozen. So, uh, but I, I just love the story. I love it. Uh, so, Carlos, that's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I don't think uh, Costco stands a chance because of that. I mean, there is some <clears throat> I, I, intellectual property that has to be defended there. Otherwise, I mean, anyone would be able to do that, and, and that's just part of, of what it is. I mean, it, it shouldn't be happening. Uh, so, well, we'll keep. I know you will keep us posted on that. Hey, I've been talking about Inby Park. Inby Park uh, is great that she's back. She's back winning. She's back on top, and she moved into a weekend position <clears throat> to win back-to-back LPGA starts this past weekend. She shot a six under par 66 on Friday at the Bank of Hope Founders Cup. She climbed into a tie for seven, two shots off the lead. She was right there. You know, the LPGA Hall of Famer went four months without touching a club after winning the Olympic gold medal last summer. She almost took six months away from competition, getting the damaged ligament in her left thumb right before making her to return to the LPGA this year. But she won the HSBC Women's Champions two weeks ago in her just her second start of the year. Well, Park said there's a lot of golf left this weekend when she was asked, she did say that winning seems to have taken a newfound joy since her return. Another thing she did say was that she revealed the secret to her Olympic gold medal victory last summer in Rio de Janeiro. Park said Wednesday at the Bank of Hope Founders Cup that she's never been so desperate for a good result in her whole career as she was with the Olympics. She said that the pressure she was under in South Korea made her desperate. Well, with her leaving the LPGA for two months, leading into the Olympics because that some injury, there was pressure on her, and you might remember this, to give up her spot on the South Korean team to a healthy player. They had like 10 they could have <laughs> taken her, her position, but there were especially two that were waiting for her to see what she was going to do. She was heavily criticized for not giving it away. Now we know it was the best thing, but she said that that preparation for the Olympics, she had never worked that hard in her whole life, her whole career. That couple of months she had before the Olympics, she seriously thought she can be get, starting to get tired of golf after those two months. 
that is how hard she worked at that preparation. That was how much pressure she had. She said that the victory was a mental triumph because playing through the injury and through all the doubters, she said her husband and coach, Gigi Onam, was instrumental to her success. She said he made her brave when she needed that feeling. She's now 28, and he's off to a remarkable return to the tour after taking nearly six months off to heal that ligament damage uh, following the Olympics. Uh, and after earning the Hall of Fame induction last year and her gold medal, she wondered what was left for her to achieve after that big adrenaline that shot that she had with that, that high. She said, what? What is left for me to achieve now? But she, she said the time away healing made her hungry to return to the tour. She said now that hey, returning to number one doesn't motivate her anymore. Winning a particular championship doesn't drive her either. She said winning Rolex Player of the Year again or the money title again, those aren't huge ambitions. But she did say, however, return with a greater appreciation for tour life for opportunities she wants to continue to, to enjoy. She said she's going to treat this return to golf as a new beginning. Wow, I tell you one thing. When you approach life, and especially competition, that way you take a lot of the pressure out and you see what she's doing already. Fred, it's unclear how long she will play in this second iteration of her career, this new beginning as she calls it. She has said that maybe three, four years. She doesn't know for sure. One thing is for certain. Golf, women's golf is a lot better with her in it, especially if she's at the top of her game. Yeah, can you see some uh, Korean, South Korean Olympic official uh, trying to talk to him? He said, well, you know, you should maybe give up your spot uh, to one of the other girls who have a, a real chance of winning. You know, you're just taking up space. <laughs> <laughs> how do you how do you like to be the dumb idiot that had that conversation? Um, yeah. Hey, uh, Carlos, uh, Jay Monahan, the new commissioner of the PGA Tour, gave an in-depth interview to Golf World for Golf Digest, and in that interview, made some very interesting points. First, he talked about his days at uh, Fenway Park. You know, he comes from a sales background. He believes to be a successful salesman, you have to find a client's need and show how your product will fill that need. Thus, it's not about the sale, but building the relationship. A relationship mutually beneficial and larger than the product. The most important part, which is the follow-up. How your product is performing and what you can do to help the client be better. He is still in touch with the people he did business with 15 years ago. The idea is to keep the relationship going as it can help you both in ways that maybe didn't exist at the outset. You know, that's kind of what he's trying to do with the PGA Tour, keep the relationship that has been built between the tour and the fans over the past 25 years going. When asked what he admired most about other professional sports, two things. One, the way the NFL Major League Baseball, and the NBA, as well as the National Hockey League, conclude their seasons. I love where we are with the FedEx Cup, but keep in mind it's only 10 years along. It's still evolving, and we're always on the lookout for ways ways to sharpen our postseason playoff structure. And two, and this is the most important one, 
I admire the way they build and market their brands through their own networks. Having a 24-7 presence has served these sports very, very well. So, you know what that means, Carlos. Golf Channel's nice, but it appears the PGA Tour wants their own golf network. At one point in the conversation, he mentioned how Hideki Matsuyama is revered in Japan and Li Huatong is also a huge figure in China. With the enhancements being made to broadband, there will come a day when Hideki's fans will not only be able to watch him, but to see every shot he hits. Obviously, that goes for our players and the U.S. audiences as well. But it's especially enticing as the PGA Tour expands globally to places such as South Korea. It's a global game and marketplace. We have 85 players from 22 countries other than the United States on our tour. Growth is occurring everywhere. The opportunity for us is to lead the way. Well, Carlos, from these comments, it's obvious the tour has a keen eye to Asia and starting its own television programming network. In fact, we talked last week, and I wrote an article for Backline Blog, about the Asian tour's displeasure with the PGA Tour starting a big tournament in Korea without including them in the process. The European Tour, Asian Tour, and Australasian Tour are in a dogfight right now for world dominance and to stay relevant. The PGA Tour with the Web.com Tour, McKenzie, Latino America, and the China Tours, they're well positioned to provide millions of viewers for a network and will attract Fortune 500 countries to buy advertising here. Can you imagine, Carlos, if they had their own network, they could be broadcasting stuff in China. You know, you know, Golf Channel got started by broadcasting European tour events. That's how they got started. Guys in the United States wanted so much golf, they would watch European tour events in the morning. And then, you know, they did the women's, which nobody, you couldn't get women's events on TV. And then they were able to get some contracts. Once they saw that the PGA Tour saw they were viable, the PGA Tour game on, on Valve with early round coverage and some of the things that, that network coverage didn't want to do. That's exactly now they're going to take the PGA Tour is going to take this a step farther. They're going to be broadcasting stuff 24/7. You're going to be able to get live golf every day of the week, you know, 24 hours a day. It's coming, Carlos. It's coming and it's going to come faster than we think. I mean, that's the way to go for everybody, and uh, that's the way Back Nine Report is doing it. We're in Roku, if you don't remember, Roku TV. And uh, that's the way that everything is going to be. It's going to be broadcast in the future, not the so distant future, very near future. It's going to be everybody having their own channel. Cable companies uh, are already taking, and we have talked about this so many times, and we're continuing to talk about it uh, about the changes in how broadcasting and all the channels are going to be coming out, so hey, Sling TV, Roku TV, Apple TV, even PlayStation with the Express, PlayStation Express is getting into this. Hey, you know, Carlos, let me, let, me just uh-huh. say, let me just say one real quick thing here just before we leave this topic, but um, up at our cottage in Michigan, we don't, we don't, we're off the cable up there for TV, and, um, but we have the Roku up there, so I can get everything that I want on Roku for you know, I'm paying, what, 20 bucks for Sling. I'm paying, uh, you know, Hulu's like $5. Um, you can get this new Epix, which is nice, for, I think, 5 bucks. Uh, Netflix is 8 bucks. So, 
what's that, uh, 17 and 20, so 37, say 40 bucks a month, I can get everything that I want. I pay an extra, I, I get the, the PGA Tour live thing, that's five bucks, but I got to do that through my computer, but I hook my computer up to the TV. I can get ESPN Watch on the TV up there, but because I have the cable here at home, I'm able to watch some stuff, you know, some of the stuff because I have cable access here at home. But I could get everything I want basically on Roku and through that platform except for, um, you know, except for ESPN. Well, I get ESPN Watch. I can't get the Golf Channel. That's really about the only thing that I can't get right now without being hooked up to a cable. So uh, it's very close. It's very, very close uh, that you would not need a cable. It's very close. I, I have... I have been seeing at the options, you know, Sling TV and Roku and all of them, and they just lack one thing or the other. But once they get that figured out and really get them, like you say, Golf Channel and some and some other, uh, once that is sorted out, you'll see that the cable companies are going to really be looking to more into content offering than to offering channels anymore. Hey, with that, we wrap up our Far Five News. We're going to take a short break. And so when we come back, we have the topic of the week on the practice range. Don't go away. Thank you for listening to the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. We'll be right back. Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. And we're back, and now it's time for the breakfast range where every week, Fred and I pick a topic in each of us take our own shots at it, and this week, we're going to talk about the women in golf. You know, they have become one of the fastest growing sectors in the world of golf, and they have become the biggest topic in golf over the past week, so we have to talk about it. Why in the world are we talking about a problem with them playing golf and all the rest? Well, let me start by saying that this was something that was part of, uh, you know, Clubs were not allowing women to play. We reported last week that Merrifield uh, finally voted, and uh, now it's including including the open rota. Then the other one that had that wasn't their fire was the Kasumigaseki Country Club, and because they were the Olympic, the Olympic Golf Club. Well, they have changed its membership policy after previously not allowing women to play on Sundays or become full members. Kasumigaseki Country Club hosts the course to the 2020 Olympic Golf Game Tournament, uh, and they have voted finally to allow female members. The club had previously not allowed women to be full members of play on Sunday, and uh, Kasumigaseki had come under intense pressure from the International Olympic Committee, who earlier this month threatened to strip the club of the competition unless they admitted women members. The Tokyo 2020 Organizing Committee says the club's regulations have been changed following a unanimous decision by the executive board. 
Committee President Yoshida Mori said, and I quote, on behalf of the Tokyo 2020 Organizing Committee, I'd like to extend my gratitude to the members of the club for their understanding and cooperation. I also would like to express my admiration for the club's endeavor to come to an agreement in such a short period of time, end of quote. Yeah, nobody was, uh, you know, breaking some arms or anything. They just did that on their own. But you might remember that the IOC Vice President John Coates told the BBC earlier this month, before that vote, and I quote, I respect it's a private club, but our position is clear. We will only go to a club that has non-discrimination, end of quote. Kasumi Gaseki Club Chairman Kichikibura described the controversy as annoying last month. Earlier this year, the Japan Golf Council urged the IOC to switch venues for the 2020 Olympic Games Golf Tournaments. The council wanted the tournaments moved to the public course Wasaku Golf Links in Tokyo Bay, which has no playing restrictions. Kasumi Gaseki Karate Club was founded in 1929 and has hosted more high-level tournaments in Japan than any other golf course, so it seemed suited that was the one that had to be, including the 1999 Japan Ladies Open and the 2010 Asian Amateur Championship, which was won by, who else? Hideki Matsuyama. As we reported last week, Merfield's Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers recently voted to allow women members and subsequently have been placed back on the open rota. So it was only fair that everyone else follows suit now and ditches this nonsense policy everywhere, Fred. Women's golf is in the news everywhere, and it should be. And finally, it's been for good reasons, Fred. Yeah, you know, he said, well, you know, we're not twisting arms here, uh, Kasumi Gaseki. Kasumi Gaseki. Uh, you know, yes, that too. Um, that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but just last week, uh, the Olympic Chase, Chief Thomas Box said that uh, you know, hey, uh, if you don't do this, uh, we're gonna we're gonna jerk it out of there. Um, so, you know, Muirfield that only required a two thirds vote of the membership, and like you said, there in Japan they had to have a hundred percent of that fifteen member board vote, which they did. So they got that done. So they got that taken off the table. But the problem is, Carlos. Why in the world are we talking about this? It, it's just amazing to me. Roy McElroy even said, in this day and age where you've got women that are the leaders of certain industries and women that are heads of state not to be able to join a golf course, it's obscene. It's ridiculous. We'll go back and we'll play the Open Championship because they will let women members in. But every time I go to Muirfield now, I won't have a great taste in my mouth. He also added, I still think that it got to the stage. I still think that it got to this stage is horrendous. Look, it's just, you know, it's just not right. I'm, you know, I'm going to go back there and play, but I won't be having many cups of tea with the members afterward. LPGA Tour player from England, Charlie Hall, went so far as to suggest that Muirfield should host a women's British Open in the future. That would be cool. So, Muirfield captain Henry Fairweather said he hopes the vote last week to admit women into the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers will be the first step to restore their reputation. It's going to take a while, Carlos, I think. Uh, that, that's going to kind of be a black mark on the, on the great history. They have a wonderful history and tradition there, but uh, they kind of went a little bit 
too long there before they uh, they got this done. So we've talked about Japan. We've talked about Scotland. Um, you know, this is something that not too many people are talking about. Um, what about the Middle East? You know, Middle Eastern countries are known for their mistreatment of women who are virtually treated slaves in some Muslim communities. Should Abu Dhabi, Qatar, and Dubai that host big European tour events be immune to the same rules as Scotland regarding women? I don't think too many women are members of golf clubs in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Yet the European tour visits these Middle East countries every January for three big events. They pay out nearly $8 million in total prize money and offer lucrative appearance fees to top players to attend. They are a major staple on the European tour every year and bring millions of viewers to the television coverage. You know, is this hypocrisy on the golf industry's part? What about the Middle East? Well, then, let's come back to the United States. And so now we've got this group of of American women in the dump Trump campaign to move the USGA's 2017 U.S. Women's Open away from Trump Bedminster. The women's group Ultraviolet says it has over 100,000 signatures on a petition to move the U.S. Women's Open uh, out away from there. And they protested outside the Bank of Hope Founders Cup last week, and they plan to protest again this week in Carlsbad, California, uh, for the Kia Classic. They even went so far as to hire a plane to drag a sign around above the Founders Cup last week that said, LPGA, take a mulligan, dump sexist Trump. So, Carlos, um, you know, there has been no announcement or word from either the USGA or the LPGA. They are even discussing moving the tournament, which is to take place July 13th through 16th. Michael Wan said when this first came up last year, he would not, it just wouldn't be feasible to move the event. And the USDA has been mum on the issue. Ultraviolet co-founder Shauna Thomas, and I hate to give this woman even time on our air, but I feel like we should probably at least talk about it. But she said, by holding U.S. Women's Open at Trump's golf courses, the LPGA is giving millions in revenue, free advertising, and branding to Trump, a racist, sexist, sexual predator. That's deeply disappointing. The LPGA should not be rewarding Trump's bigoted brand and normalize his platform and policies that degrade women and divide our country. USGA and LPGA need to send a clear signal to young golfers, including women, people of color, and people with disabilities that it stands against Trump's brand of hate and for an inclusive, strong future by moving the upcoming U.S. Women's Open from Trump National Golf Course. Okay, well, the petition notes by holding a tournament, you know, that uh, it's misogynist, racist, serial, sexual predator. You know, I... You know, this is all that part of it. That part of this whole discussion is just ludicrous to me. Um, this is the president of the United States we're talking about here. Uh, he's not a sexual predator, and should be given the respect that is due him and his office. Uh, you know, these people, all this stuff that came out in the media during the campaign, a lot of it was just uh, you know stuff to get attention and to get the other candidate elected. They they gotta let this stuff go, Carlos. So. Bottom line, let's bottom line this here, Carlos. So we've talked about a lot of stuff. We've talked about Japan. We've talked about Scotland. We've talked about the Middle East. We've talked about the United States. You know, it's an international community of golf now. 
civil rights and laws vary for each country and each section of the world, each region. So, so I, have, I have a few questions. Should golf be the enforcer of gender equality in the world? Should they take that on? Number two, is it appropriate for golf to insert itself into the inner workings of a particular club and its rules? Should they even dictate to a club that, hey, you've got to do this? They've done it in the United States for a while. They've pulled tournaments out of courses that, you know, didn't have African-American members or women members or whatever, but is it appropriate? If this is the case, how can the hypocrisy of the Middle Eastern male-dominated societies be let off the hook for its demeaning treatment of women? And number four, why in the world does this small group of women think they can affect change when the country elected Donald Trump as its president? So, Carlos, you know, that's, that's the thoughts on the women in golf issue. I don't know that we've solved anything, but at least we talked about it a little bit. Huh? If, if they would be intelligent enough, they would say yes to your first question, uh, but they face a lot of problems because they're still, like you mentioned, you know, the, the Middle Eastern uh, countries are male-dominated society, and uh, they're, like, getting a pass on this. So you're, you, they would be like, you know, there's a lot of tournaments. There's a lot of money moved <laughs> in those countries. So uh, I don't see how golf could, you know, get inserted into that. But they should at least, where they can, try to enforce it, you know, and try to, to become the, the, the standard on it. The LPGA Tour has one of the greatest tours, if not the most competitive tour right now, uh, top to bottom. You can go the first uh, 50, 60 women, and all of them are there playing each and every week, going around the world, showing their talents. And uh, they're a great, great competitive tour. I mean, you can just see it week in, week out, and you don't get tired of it. They are they're getting the standard of this, and I think all of the tours should try to get united in the common sense of this. They have already made Nearfield. Uh, and made uh, now Kasumi Gaseki and the other ones that were also there in, in, in England to turn into now allowing women. You know, Augusta did it as well. You know, we are doing it in golf. I think we should just give more of this. And like you say, I also am really tired of this thing about Trump. If you think, if you say he's a predator, just bring the facts here. And why hasn't he been charged for that? You know, stop this, stop this. It's just, to me, just a grab attention, like you mentioned. And uh, I just hope this goes away, and hopefully uh, we can start looking at women the proper way, that the great competitive uh, players that they are, and give them their equal opportunity uh, in this world and in sports, Fred. I'm with you. I, I, that was well said. Well, with this, we'll wrap up our practice range. Hope you enjoyed it. We have more to come in the next upcoming weeks. And if you want, we we exhort you to please also take the standard in this. Uh, you know, treat your women right. They are equally important to us. And hey, support them in every chance that you can. Let's if you don't believe it, just ask, just ask your wife. <laughs> yes, ask her. <laughs> really, really. She'll, she'll <laughs> gladly tell you. <laughs> yeah. And with this, we'll wrap up our practice range. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Matt Ginella. I want his job, man. I want his job to go away. 
Thank you for listening to the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. We'll be right back. Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. And we're back, and now it's time for the VIG, the very important guest of the week. He's been with us before, and now he's back, and he, you know him, you know him from going all around the world, having that very sacrificed job of just going through the golf courses, playing on them. Of course, he's, you know, surveying them, reporting on them, but he's playing on all of them. He's playing on all of them. I've told him the other times that he's been here, I want, I want, I want your job, man. But, of course, there's only one Matt Ginella, and we have him here on our VIG, very important guest of the week. So, Fred, set up this great interview that you had with him. You know, um, he uh, just spent some time down at Big Cedar Lodge. Um, Gary Player opened a new 13-hole short course down there. And so uh, I saw that he was there and uh, sent him a note asking if he would want to come on and talk about it. And he was... uh, uh, kind enough to do so. So we talked about that a little bit. We talked about Mike Kaiser's, uh, uh, what he's doing up there at Sand Valley in Wisconsin. Uh, that's a great property up there they're developing. He's going to talk about that a little bit. We talked a little bit about Michigan, the new course at Arcadia Bluffs, and we had Dana Fry on at the end of last year talking about that, and then Forrest Dunes. And then we wrapped up by talking a little bit about, you know, we talked last week on the show about uh, Arnold Palmer's not around anymore. What's going to happen to his stuff? And so he's been, Matt had been talking to uh, the Palmer design people, and that business uh, looks like it's positioned to continue uh, in the future and looks like it's in pretty good shape. So uh, it was really a solid interview, and uh, in he makes some really good points. I uh, really always enjoy talking to Matt. Let's hear him. We are really excited to have Matt Janella from the Golf Channel back on Back Nine Report again. Uh, Matt, we always appreciate you taking time to come and talk to us, giving us an update on what's going on on golf course design and new golf courses around the country. So, uh, hey, thanks again and welcome. I always appreciate you having me. Always a pleasure. Thank you for, thank you for the call. Hey, uh, I saw something the other day, uh, Gary Player talking about the course he did down at uh, down at Big Cedar uh, for Johnny Morris down there, and they've got the top of the rock, they've got Buffalo Ridge, and now Gary's got a new course down there, right? I was there a little over a week ago and got to uh, play the course uh, with uh, Gary, actually, and and had a blast. i, I got to be honest, you know, it's a, it ended up being – a 12-hole par-3 course, and, and at the end of the day, they kind of moved the 12th green about, I don't know, 30, 40 yards. It uh, ended up giving them room to make a kind of a short 13th finishing hole. i gotta, I got to be honest, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I, as you probably know by now, and I'm sure we've talked about in the past, I, I love short courses. I don't think we can have enough short courses they hit on all the kind of issues that are facing the game of golf being that it's too expensive, takes too long and it's too hard to play. 
I think the idea that Johnny Morris at Big Cedar Lodge, who isn't necessarily a golfer, but he does know how to uh, create a, a memorable experience uh, in the Ozarks in terms of, of, yeah, he has golf, but a lot of other amenities and activities uh, at Big Cedar Lodge overlooking Table Rock Lake, whether it's be fishing or, you know, cave tours, and, and, you know, he's got all, all kinds of things uh, there. And it's the idea that he added a sh- second short course before he really commissioned a second big course, I think is, uh, is sort of telltale for the way the industry is going. I think Gary's course, which is on, you know, in, on Buffalo Ridge kind of neighboring the, the Fazio course that they already have and will be neighboring the core Crenshaw course that's going in as well. Uh, it's spectacular. Uh, it's a ver- variety of shots that you hit. You can kind of pick your own tee boxes throughout your round, uh, not unlike you can do at, at Bandon Preserve, the other 13-hole part of three course at Bandon Dunes. It's fun. It's it's memorable. There's no forced carries. There's no water. Uh, you know, we, we, we played in a 35-mile-an-hour wind. There was four of us. Uh, you know, I think Gary made five birdies. Everybody had at least one birdie. Uh, we had plenty of birdie putts, and as I always said, I've never, ever heard anybody walk off a golf course and say, well, I didn't really like it. I had too many birdie putts, you know, or (laughs) I I didn't like that golf course. It was too easy. Uh, It was too much fun. You know, that's that's never happened. And I think that the more we can do in terms of building short courses and having those experiences, uh, and, and that's good for all levels, any ages, any you know that 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 really fills the need that we have with golf in America. So very very excited for for golf. I'm very excited for Johnny Morris and Big Cedar Lodge. I'm really excited for Gary Player. I think he was really excited to see what yeah he and but but his team has developed. It was it was a cool experience. Switching gears here a minute, we had Dana Fry on uh, about uh, I don't know back at the end of the year talking about the new course at Arcadia Bluffs. Any insight on that? And then with the new course that Bilk built at the Forest Dunes, it's kind of making some of these guys in Michigan take a second look at what they've got, maybe uh, adding more stuff and, uh, and and to be competitive, stay in that market up there. You said it. I think I haven't spoken to Danny yet about what he's going to do at Arcadia Bluffs. I've just only heard from Arcadia Bluffs in terms of that it was happening, where it is, what kind of land he's working with. I'm excited to to hear more about it. I'm excited to see it and see the development of it. I think it's great, as as I've written before and, and said many times, Mike Kaiser's formula has always been one plus one equals three. You know, one course is a curiosity. Two courses makes a destination. You know, Forrest Dunes, what, what Lou Thompson did was, you know, he did – one plus two, and, and, and we'll see what that equals for him in terms of the loop and, and, and a reversible routing, uh, which which I think was a very smart play. And I think Arcadia Bluffs is, is not only just responding to what Forrest Dunes did, but they're responding to what the golf industry is doing. If you've got something good and you can add something to it and make that good as well, well, I mean, the, the possibilities are endless. Uh, I think it's been proven that, that – Golfers, avid amateurs, are very willing to to get on a plane and go play good, memorable, uh, uh, fun uh, golf. And that's you know if if that's what if that's what they're going to build, then the, yeah, that's not only good for Arcadia Bluffs, but that's also good for golf. 
Let's talk about Wisconsin for a minute. Uh, you know, we've got uh, the U.S. Open going to be up at Aaron Hills. You've got Whistling Straits doing all the stuff that they do. You've got a place, uh, Sand Valley, that Mike Kaiser owns, and, and uh, he's, uh, he's going to build a third golf course up there. Uh, from what I understand, it's down to uh, Doak, DeVries, or Cor Crenshaw. Uh, what insight or what thoughts do you have on that? I'm loving the development of Sand Valley. You know, the second one is right behind the first, so with David David McClay Kidd going in and officially opening next uh, summer, not this summer, the following summer. I think, uh, and I know that Corin Crenshaw and their team is working with Michael Kaiser Jr. to build a short course uh, right now, and they're not even actually sure how many holes it's going to end up being. I think they're just kind of, they keep going with a bunch of short courses. So with the third third big course, um, yeah, as you said, I think it's between those three uh, design firms. And uh, I know that over the course of, of kind of assessing the land and having all these different uh, architectural firms out there, I know they've got, a, you know, they got several layouts that they really like. And it's just a matter of which one goes next. I know uh, in talking with Michael Kaiser Jr., who's obviously you know, very much involved in the future at Sand Valley, uh, that he really likes uh, Mike DeVries. He likes the work he's done. He likes uh, Mike as a person. He likes what uh, Mike is proposing to do uh, as course number three. I know that uh, Mike Kaiser uh, Sr. is, you know, we know what he thinks of Core and Crenshaw. I don't think he thinks he can have too many Core and Crenshaw courses anywhere at any time. And obviously Tom Doak is Tom Doak. So you got w- which one they go with next I actually don't know the answer to that question. If I had to bet, I would probably go with Mike DeVries uh, because I I feel like uh, Mike Sr. is making a statement here at Sand Valley, and that is that his sons are very much a part of the future of what he's of what he's developing, uh, and really uh, allowing them the the room uh between mike kaiser uh, jr and chris kaiser to sort of make some decisions here on on what's going to be his uh you know his lasting legacy in terms of his contributions to the game of golf so that's that's just a hunch it's a guess and that's that's all i know at this point Hey, to wrap up, Matt, uh, we just talked about uh, Arnold Palmer's legacy last week a little bit and what's happening uh, with his memorabilia, you know, the companies, uh, are they in good shape? Uh, talk a little bit about the, their design team, uh, what, what's going on with them? Are they set for the future? That's a, that's a really good question. I, I say yes. I've, uh-huh. I've spent a little time with uh, Thad Layton and Brandon Johnson they, they are the two guys, sort of co-they're vice presidents of Arnold Palmer Design Company. They've both been with the company for for a long time. I think Brandon started in 2006, and Thad goes back uh, several years before that. They've spent a lot of time uh, with Mr. Palmer. Did interviews with them that ran on Morning Drive. They ran uh, during Arnold Palmer Invitational Week, and. Boy, I, I got to tell you, I'm I'm really impressed with these guys. They are not boisterous braggarts. They're not. You're not going to get them. You know, run any other architects down or position themselves as being better than anybody else. But I think they they talked about a time in which they were a part of a company that was putting out 16 courses in a year. 16 courses in a year. Can you imagine? That it's going to take years to get 16 new courses in America, and they were doing it, you know, a year. And that's, 
And they also kind of are willing to say that that's not the way they want, they, you know, they, they never want to get to that number again. They, they want, they realize that that will never happen again. They realize that maybe that wasn't the best uh, strategy for sort of development of golf courses. They, they know that uh, they're, they're saying all the right words, playability, fun factor, uh, using what the, you know, using what the land dictates. Uh, they're talking about being shoulder to shoulder in the field, developing real intimate relationships with uh, the, the owner, the developer of the land, and and sort of making a lasting impact. And and I, and from all that I can tell and all that I hear, they're very talented guys, and, and they know the game. They know uh, they know how to make uh, good, memorable golf holes. And so I'm. I'm really rooting for these guys. Uh, you know, it's hard to consider, to say, oh, you've got Arnold Palmer Design Company without Arnold Palmer. But I think these guys are in charge, and uh, and they are, and they get a couple of really cool opportunities, like a second course at Castle Stewart, which which they talked a lot about, and sounds like that's happening. And uh, we know Mark Parsons, kind of the Mike Kaiser of the UK. I think I think this could be. This could be really cool, a really cool story for, for to watch these guys kind of develop the future. Matt Janella on Back Night Report giving us some insight on some of the design that's going on, uh, the new courses around the country right now, uh, and the designers that are doing that. So, Matt, again, thank you so much for talking with us. Always appreciate it, honestly. Thanks again. There you have it. That was Matt Janella there. Uh, talking about a wide range of things here. And Fred, anything else you would like to add before we move on to our final parts? No, just that uh, he has a finger on what's going on. Uh, so it's always kind of like getting an insider's look at uh, what's happening at some of the, uh, you know, more popular resorts, uh, some of the bigger name designers, what they're looking at. And, and uh, he can give us a lot of good insight into that stuff, so it's always great having him come on the show. Definitely. He has a lot of information since he goes around and knows so many people in those courses, and all that information is really great every time we have him. With that, we'll wrap up our VIG Very Important Guest of the Week. We're going to take our last short break. When we come back, we have our final thoughts on the way. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis, breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at eDraftSports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. And now it's time for our final pots. And as usual, I take the first the final pots, and we have a lot of them today. Uh, let's start by saying, you know, my guys to look for this year keep popping up everywhere. West Australian Curtis Locke has become the new number one amateur in the world after the RNA released his official world ranking last Wednesday. The 2016 U.S. Amateur Champion overtook American Maverick Nick McNeely in the top spot. Locke heard the news while he was in Florida preparing for the API and said the number one ranking had been a long-term goal of his. 
He was disqualified, by the way, from the API after signing an incorrect scorecard in the second round. He was unlikely to make the cut anyway at Bay Hill when he struggled badly in the second round after opening uh, 79 and then an 82 on Friday. He will not be making any more starts before the Masters, but he still plans to put in plenty of work that began with a range session immediately following his DQ. The 20-year-old whose U.S. amateur victory earned him an invite into the next month's Masters said he's excited to be taking off goals and he already signed with IMG. So that expect him to turn pro after the Masters shortly afterwards. You know, the Arnold Palmer Cup teams, both for Europe and the U.S., were announced during the opening round of the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bale Hill Club and Ludge. The annual Ryder Cup-style competition will be held at June 9 to 11 at the Atlanta Athletic Club. When play begins, you will be looking for their second consecutive title after winning the 2016 edition at Fumbley Club. Texas Tech's and Sweden's Hans Rundvald and Frederick Nealon, Christopher Ventura of Oklahoma State from Norway, Jacksonville's David Wicks from England, Harry Ellis of Florida State from England, and Missouri's Rory Franson from Scotland all qualified for a team year by finishing in the top six of the Arnold Palmer Cup player ranking. Committee selections were Maynooth scored the Grehan from Ireland and Victor Hovland of Oklahoma State from Norway, Richard Mansell of Nova Southeastern from England, and David Inglis uh, was the coach's pick. The final member of the team will be the winner of the RNA Foundation Scholars Tournament. That will be April 3rd to the 4th. Team Europe represents only five countries uh, in 2017, which is the fewest since 2011. And the six U.S. players determined by the rankings were uh, Sam Burns of LSU, Texas A&M's Chandler Phillips, Colin Moriqua of California, Virginia's Jimmy Stinger, Stanford's Maverick McNeely, and Oregon's Norman Chong, uh, John Coltis of Florida Southern, Southern, Southern California's Sean Crocker, and Illinois' Nick Harvey were the committee selections. And finally, in case you were wondering, Jack Nicholas is still really good at golf. Pretty good. Maybe even too good. You know, the Golden Bear recently took part in the Elsewhere Autism Pro-Am Golf Tournament at the Old Palm Golf Club. Several tour pros participated, including Rory McIlroy, Ricky Fowler, and Justin Thomas. The event itself raised more than $1 million for the Else for Autism Foundation, which aims to improve the understanding of, awareness of, and development of programs for autistic people. But Nicholas, nearly two months removed from his 77th birthday, stole the show by shooting a 71. He might have been even better than he wanted. Isn't there a rule that any 77-year-old who shoots a 71 automatically gets a first-place trophy? If there isn't, can somebody get started drafting up one? I mean, Fred, in the meantime, we just have to appreciate what an all-time great continues to do, adding to his all-time great legend. Yeah, that's with a bad hip and not playing very much anymore. So uh, <laughs> those guys, once they have it, they, they still got it. Hey, Carlos, I just got a news flash across. Um, um, number one is that... Um, the uh, you know last year the marathon classic here in Toledo was broadcast live on Sunday afternoon on CBS. I uh, just got a news flash that that's not going to happen this year. They were trying to get that done, but evidently uh, they couldn't get the money enough money or whatever. Uh, you know marathons in quite quite a bit for the um, 
Um, they're on the hook quite a bit for the Solheim Cup. It's coming up here in a few years, and they've done a great job uh, boosting up the tournament here, but uh, not going to be on CBS uh, like last year on Sunday afternoon. Uh, plus, uh, Ferrity is going to have some outstanding uh, guests coming up. I don't know if you saw any of Phil Mickelson's two-parter over the last two weeks. That was really good. Even though I'm not a big Phil Mickelson fan, it, it was fun. Uh, it was a really good uh, good interview. Uh, Steph Curry, Matthew McConaughey, Condoleezza Rice, uh, all are going to be on Ferrity's show uh, coming up. So um, I'm really excited to hear, uh, to see, listen to Condoleezza Rice. I think she's outstanding. I think, now this is my personal opinion, Carlos, and you know what those are worth, but you want to talk about the first woman president? That's who should be the first woman president. She knows what's, how things should be done. But, oh, well. Anyhow, um, Carlos, Lydia Ko confirms she wants to retire by the age of 30, and her coach, Gary Gilchrist, says she needs to concentrate more on the golf course. Lydia said, I want to retire when I'm still playing well, not because I can't compete anymore, and 30 is better than 29. Julie Inkster would probably disagree with her on that. I'm just saying. Um, this is her fourth year on tour, which means she would have been playing for 15 years. She thinks that's going to be enough. Um, she'll probably change her mind when she gets there because 30 is not that old, Carlos. I hate to tell you. Um, since Co has switched from Lady Ledbetter to Gary Gilchrist, Gilchrist says Lydia needs more focus on the golf course. Uh, plus, she's switched equipment over the winter. She's now playing PXG. So she's playing really well. She's having top 10. She's finishing well, just not quite winning tournaments. And really, the tournament in Arizona last week is not her kind of event. Um, you get on a tougher golf course where pars are more of a premium. That's the kind of golf course that Lydia Go plays well on. Um, on Bobby Jones' 115th birthday, uh, Atlanta History Center opened a new permanent exhibit honoring the greatest amateur ever. Bobby Jones had a lot of firsts in his illustrious golfing career, and now he's the only individual for whom a permanent exhibit at the Atlanta History Center uh, is dedicated. On the anniversary of what would have been his 115th birthday last Friday, Jones was honored, and the center is located just a mile and a half from Whitehall, the Jones family residence, for many years. The exhibit is called Fair Play, the Bobby Jones Story. Uh, Tiger Woods was in New York this week, uh, you know, pumping up his new book, The 997 Masters, My Story, which hit bookstores on Monday. Uh, Tiger made the rounds. Uh, I did not see any of his interviews. Um, I heard some, uh, some news that he did not look good on camera. I don't know what the deal is. Um, he did not uh, come across very well uh, in his interviews. And Carlos, I have to tell you, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be off next week. Kieran's going to be here filling in, so you and Kieran try to get along, try to play nice, okay? Um, but I'm going to be out there doing what I do, just working my butt off for the show, traveling around, <laughs> playing at Pinehurst, playing at Hilton Head, playing at Milton, Myrtle Beach, if my back will let me. Um, I don't know. We're going to find out about that. But also, I want to get in a sneak peek uh, for our uh, good friend, Jim Dodson, who I'm going to be stopping and seeing him for a little bit, maybe playing a little golf together. Um, he's coming out with his new book, Range Bucket List, will be out uh, in May. I'm sure it will be available on Amazon and all the bookstores. Range Bucket List, you'll want to watch for that. Um, I had an advanced copy. I read through it. 
uh, great stories. Jim is just such a wonderful storyteller. As we get closer to the release date, we'll ha- definitely have him on the show. Um, but that's something that everybody wants to watch. Thomas? <laughs> Two things. I mean, Kier and I always uh, have a good, good, good discussion. <laughs> I mean, as usual, he'll, he'll have more words than me. I mean, he has more words than you and I together anyway. But uh, <laughs> he, he, he'll do his part. Uh, we... Oh man, that that he, Matt Janela better watch out because you're you're getting close. You're getting close to this. And anyway, you and I are gonna have a a back competition to see who who has it worst. But <laughs> we'll see who gets better first. But anyway, that that with that, let's wrap up another week. Backniners of the Backnine Report presented by eDraft.com. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the lesson of the world of golf. Special thanks to our VIG, very important guest, all the week, Manginella, Golf Channel's resident travel insider. He files irregular features and offers recaps of his trips of the best golf destinations in the world on Morning Drive. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Block Talk Radio. Or if you missed it, check it out on iTunes or TuneIn. And check out, always, on Roku TV, all the new episodes we put there. And if you haven't done so, follow the show on Twitter. Her ID is at back 9 report with the number 9 in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres, along with Fred Vader. We wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs>